Dragon the Peg is recorded on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the Oji Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Welcome to Dragon the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Hooson, and I'll be your host. One of the first times I took photos of drag was at a music festival, Rainbow Trout, where a group of performers called the Sunshine Bunch take the stage year after year on the Saturday night and get the crowd going wild. I was crouched next to the stage, next to a huge cake made out of paper, and midway through the set I turned around and saw two little heeled feet snaking into the base of the cake, and I thought, oh my god, a drag queen is going to come out of that cake. Sure enough, during the second set, we all sang happy birthday for Rainbow Trout's 10th anniversary, and out from the top exploded today's guest. What an entrance, I know. I'm very excited for you to get to know her a little bit better today. She's been called quiet and mysterious, but really she's one of the darkly funniest, wittiest, and most thoughtful performers I've ever met. So without further ado, please help me welcome one of the horrors of Lady Frances, So Lay Me Down. West End of Winnipeg, born and raised. Here's Soleil Me Down. Soleil, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Soleil, I think that you're one of the most enigmatic queens in the whole drag scene. Really? Why? I don't know. You're very mysterious. In what way, though? Because I, like, I get that from people. But do you then get that from people? I do, in a way. Because they're like, you're not how you present yourself. Like, you present yourself a certain way, but then... You're not necessarily how you are, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I think it took me a while to get to know you. And then I think I, I maybe found the true so lay me down. I don't know, maybe you're just maybe you're just quieter. I think I am, because I remember um this was back when like Slaytana made her debut. Mm-hmm. I remember this was like months after she was talking to me about how when she first met me and she was like, Yeah, I was there and I noticed you were very quiet and you just kept to yourself really and then I turned to Prairie and I was like, so, like, when is Soleil gonna come out of... Well, my name wasn't Soleil then, but she was like, so when is my sister gonna come out of her shell? Like, and then Prairie was like, well, she doesn't have a shell to come out of. (laughs) Yeah, I just think that, like, when when people first meet you or, like, they just see you in the club, that you're just so, like, beautiful and mysterious and imposing. You leave people wanting to know more. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So I think that this is a great, I think this is, people are really going to love this to get to know the truth, so lay me down. And they'll be disgusted and they'll hate me. (laughs) So, uh, first question, tell me about your life before you started drag. Like, what part of my life? Let's go all the way back to your very birth. Do you remember it? Well, I heard at birth you can't really see or hear anything, so I probably didn't see my mom's face. I probably didn't hear her voice or anything. I was probably just crying like a little bitch. (laughs) But... (laughs) But seriously, um, well, my dad is originally from Ethiopia, and he came to Canada as a refugee. Um, My mom is from the Philippines, and she was sponsored here by her, to come to Canada by her aunt, who became her stepmom, and effectively my step-grandma. And then, of course, obviously they met here, and then I was born. You were just born. Yeah, in a hospital, like a privileged bitch. (laughs) 
So tell me a little bit about your life growing up and kind of up until you started, I guess, considering drag or probably what might be more accurate starting to discover the Like That program. I remember when I was young, we moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Before I went into nursery, that was like the first clear memory I had of moving (laughs) because like I'd ask the guy showing us the house, the real estate agent, I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) And then he's like, no, my name is Emmanuel. My name's not Hey. Stop oh. saying Hey. Okay, Emmanuel. Since my parents were working, I'd be in daycare, obviously, and so were my sisters. My brother wasn't born yet. And then I went to Wellington School, and then I went for kindergarten. I went to Sister Matt because we moved again, like, closer to the Central Park area. Mm-hmm. And I went there till grade three, and it was a very multicultural school, mm-hmm. like, I knew white people were the majority, obviously, (laughs) but I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't really aware of my race or my ethnicity. Like I knew I had dark skin and everything and I knew I was half Ethiopian and half Filipino, but that didn't matter to me. It wasn't until I went to Prince Edward school and it was like a mostly white school. And that's when I really became aware of my race and ethnicity. And then I went to another school and then after that I went to Monroe and then Miles Mack yeah and then I went to university and then it was while I was in my university's gay straight alliance that I heard of the like that program wow what university did you go to the University of St. Boniface oh what'd you study took translation studies right because you're bilingual yeah bilingual I also speak Spanish it's a lot of languages you're a polyglot well no not polyglot but I guess a trilingual person right What's the difference? Po- a polyglot speaks... Eh, whatever. Polyglot, yes. I think it's just an exciting and fun and fresh word. Yes. We need to use those kinds of words and redefine them. Absolutely. So you discovered, like, that program through the University of St. Boniface's GSA. Oh, not not through their GSA. Like, I was part of their GSA. Okay. But, and then I heard about, like, that because I met Levi, and then he told me about like that he was like oh yeah it's just a drop-in program where we all hang out and just dress up and stuff and I was like that sounds pretty cool (laughs) tell me about the first time that you went to the like that program if you can remember how long ago was that that was back in 2016 okay so a solid three years four years almost your first experience tell me about it did they do karaoke no, <laughs> no, there was no karaoke. It was just um, we were all just hanging out, and the first person I met there was Shampoo Bottle. Ah, Shampoo Bottle. Yeah, and then she showed me around the house, and I was like, "Oh, this is neat." And Prairie wasn't there that day because they were sick, mm-hmm. and so I was just chilling with like the other like that participants and Shampoo Bottle. Shampoo Bottle, who I think it's important for us to note, since we're not going to bleep out the name, is a pseudonym for a specific figure that shall not be named. Yes. So how long after you joined the Like like That program did you start doing drag? It was about a year, because at first when I went to Like That, I was still a student. So I didn't have time really to even go to Like That itself. I'd only go like once every two weeks or something. And then eventually... I started going once a week, and then when I was done school, I found like I had nothing much else to do outside of work, so I started going twice a week, and then around January of 2017 is when I first did drag for the Like That program. Wow, and so Lay Me Down was born. 
Yes, but she wasn't Soleil then. But I'm not gonna say my old drag names because those could like go in the garbage. I didn't like my drag name really. And then Shampoo Bottle and another deceased um, drag sister. Like she's not actually deceased. I just say she's deceased as in she's not a drag queen anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah, but then sh- they were thinking and they're like, hey, why don't we name you Soleil Me Down? And then I'm like, okay. And they're like, you know, your first name would be Saleh, which is like sun. Mm -hmm. And then me down, because it would be like an expression. Soleh, me down. And I'm like, okay. And here you are, the superstar now. So being a superstar, you've had a lot of crazy opportunities in drag. You've done some crazy shit. You've performed at like music festivals. Yeah, and I popped out of a cake full of moths. That was the first time that I ever saw you. Really? Yeah, it was. Oh my god. And I knew it was coming because I saw you crawl into it. <laughs> it was really funny. That's How long funny. were you in that fucking cake? That was at Rainbow Trout in 2018? I yeah. think, yeah, 2018, right? How long were you in that fucking cake for? Their whole set? Um, I think, like, they did their first set, and then partway through the second set, they're like, okay, get in the cake. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, and then it was big enough for me to fit. And then they're like, okay, are you okay in here? I'm like, yep. And then they shut it. And then I'm like looking inside and then I see moths in there and I'm like, shit, I hope they don't eat my clothes. Like, whatever. And then I just pop out. That's funny because that's the first time a lot of people saw me. What would you say has been your craziest or best experience in drag so far? I don't know because I'd say my whole drag thing is an experience of itself because it that's what I would say, mm-hmm. but I guess the craziest would be like the music festivals, because that's like when I perform to an audience I normally wouldn't perform for, and then it's like out of the city, different environment. So we've established so far, speaking of performing to large audiences, we've established that you are more quiet when people first meet you. Do you get nervous? Yeah, um, I do get nervous. But then I think for me, what helps is like if I know what I'm doing beforehand, like if I have an idea, even if it's not fully executed, I can like at least I know what I'm doing and I know the lyrics and stuff and I know the music Then I'm fine, Mm -hmm. regardless of the audience. Like I still get nervous, but then I try to use that to help me. You choose a lot of songs that are not in English. Yeah. What's the rationale behind that? For me, I guess, well, because for me growing up, my parents don't speak English as a first language, obviously. Mm-hmm. But so they would play, my mom played music in English, but she'd also play music in her own first language. And my dad would too. And he'd play songs even in other languages he didn't speak. Mm-hmm. I guess because that was like, even in Ethiopia, that's normal. Because he's like, you know, in Ethiopia, we don't just listen to Ethiopian music. We also listen to music from other African countries, even if we don't understand them. And I'm like... And that's true for, like, every other part of the world, like, too. Like, even in, like, lots of people listen to songs in English without even knowing what the words are. Like, you see those videos where they're, like, making up sounds that they think are English, but they're not (laughs) actual words. Like, people do that. And for me, I just do that because it's, like, that was what I grew up with, like, songs in multiple languages I didn't understand. And that was before I even knew how to speak French. Mm -hmm. And, like... Yeah, that's why I do it, just to expose people to something different and just to be aware that that's not the reality for everybody. Like, lots of people do have to listen to songs in languages that aren't their own, either for because they, let's say, find themselves in a different country where they don't speak the language, or maybe it's because they grew up in an immigrant family or an indigenous family or some other culture that's not white or anglophone. Mm -hmm. 
and then that's their reality too so i want to expose people who aren't used to that to that reality amazing that sounds like a very specific conscious methodology to your approach to drag do you heavily consider kind of your impact and the impact that your choices will make when you're in drag i guess yes and no like Mm -hmm. there's some things i don't realize that i do but then in a way yes like when it comes to like my song choices and how i present myself yes that is conscious Mm -hmm. but then there's some things that aren't i'm not conscious of too like when I say I'm conscious of the way I present myself, I know, I, like, my makeup, my hair, my costumes and all that. Like, that I'm aware of how I look, but I don't realize the aesthetic behind it, like how I might be perpetuating Eurocentric beauty standards. And I didn't realize that till recently, because when I look back at my photos, my recent photos, I'm like, okay, my wigs are straight or they're wavy. They look like white girl hair. I don't paint my eyes to highlight the fact that they're Asian-shaped. Is it something that you have changed? The only thing I've changed is that I look less rough, but I don't, I haven't changed the Eurocentric aspect of it. And then I was thinking about it and I'm like, I could always do that through my song choices. Yeah. And I could just keep the same aesthetic because that's the reality women of color live through. They have to mimic Eurocentric beauty standards. So why not portray it in drag since drag is a caricature of what it's like to be a man or a woman or any type of gender? That's such a like, that's such a profoundly wise kind of deconstruction of drag. So because we're kind of going into this sort of more cerebral aspect of drag, what does drag do for you as a person and as an artist? For me, it allows me to do things I wouldn't normally do, like go in front of an audience and lip sync and dance terribly. Mm-hmm. It allows me to try out different styles I normally wouldn't, mm-hmm. but it as a person, I guess it's just, it helped me find a community, people who don't mind crossing, playing with gender and things like that. Who don't mind cross-dressing. Yeah, who don't <laughs> mind cross-dressing, yes. Pretty key component of uh, of the drag scene, I guess. Um, Heavy-hitting question. I feel like a lot of white folk who do drag or white-coded folk that do drag kind of separate their racial identity from their performance most likely because they can because they probably have never like had to deeply consider the impact that they have based on their race as a result of white privilege and other stuff like that you said you've kind of taken it upon yourself to kind of expose people to these different realities that they aren't sure of is that something that you feel like compelled to do or is that something that you feel is necessary given the way that you're perceived in any given sort of scene or area I think I've just always been like that. Mm. That's just the truth of the matter. Because I, like, I remember like even my dad, he was like, he, like one time, well, anyway, he told me like, you're really determined and you like always like to contest things people say <laughs> just for just for doing it. So like, I think that's just the way I've always been. Mm. But also because of my lived experience and just having to put up with stuff, I, I'm just tired of trying to conform and being something I'm not. Mm. So that's why I do it because it is it is like our city I don't think that it's like pandering or wrong to say that like the most influential drag queens in our city are certainly BIPOC folks but it seems like our city definitely has a lack of like darker skinned performers yeah and like like when I knew there were other 
black performers before me, like um, Chiquita Banana. Mm-hmm. But I, when I went on the scene, like there were indigenous queens. Mm-hmm. There was like, yeah, there was um, Lucy Lube mm-hmm. and Purple Haze. Mm-hmm. And who, um, by the way, is in the room with us. Hi. She's <laughs> sorry. Continue. But there weren't any, as far as I'm aware, there weren't many Asian queens and there weren't any black queens when I went on the scene, as far as I was aware. Did you feel like that was a component in the way that people treated you? I'd say because I was with like that, it gave me the confidence to just do my drag however I wanted. Because I remember like whenever we were a bit messy, like they'd be like, oh, whatever, it's okay, it's just like that. And we had that reputation at the time as being those queens like those icky queens so i'm like okay since we're the icky queens i can do whatever i want and i didn't know what i was doing so i just rolled with it and tried to make it look like i knew what i was doing but i really didn't and everyone could read see through that and they could read through that but i didn't care and that's what helped me in the beginning with like that and then eventually as we started getting accepted it and as soon as my aesthetic started getting better and as soon as my performance started getting better I felt like people were more willing to accept me I noticed there was a change as soon as like um, we started getting integrated with the court system because mm-hmm. Prairie did run for Duchess and uh, Ms. Gay now it's mixed queer Winnipeg right oh, yeah but back then it was Ms. Gay Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Vida started getting involved in the Sunshine Bunch, and now she's involved with us. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's how I think it was all those factors that helped us be able to coexist and actually like people in the system. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So you think that it was like some of those, it was like Prairie and Vida that kind of helped to bridge that gap? Yeah, and, like, of course, all the other queens who were involved, but yes. Yeah. From my memory, it's that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> memory is subjective. Mm-hmm. So people who are close to you know that you're a very political person. <laughs> really? Yeah, on Facebook all the time. Oh. You're always, like, feeling apart, like, right-wing commenters and, and pundits and stuff like that and deconstructing those arguments. You do that, like, every week. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always, like, it's always, like, a thousand words. Yeah. It's very thoughtful and intelligent. Well, it has depth. to be, because if not, they'll be, like, get her. <laughs> the, the Faith Goldies of the world will be, like, get her? Yes, and even not just Faith Goldies, but anybody. Anybody who misinterprets what you say, they'll be, like, get her. Like, even if, like, you know what I mean? Have you been attacked online? Only by those Faith Goldie pundits, but I didn't care. I found it funny. <laughs> But nothing, th- no threats. Like, they didn't threaten to kill me. Like, none of that stuff. It was just like they would, like, continuously argue and they'd insult us and stuff. And I'd be like, okay, whatever. But it, it seems like a lot of the way that you deconstruct stuff is through lenses of obviously very, like, harm reduction approaches. Do you, do you think you apply kind of those same lenses to drag and to the drag scene? I don't know because... Ah! It's true. I don't know if I do. Like, I guess I do in a way, but I guess because it's my everyday, like... I try to, I am aware of what I do. Sometimes I'm not, but then at the end of the day, you do have to take responsibility for what you do and say. So yes, I do, whether I know it or not. Does that make you uncomfortable or comfortable? I don't know how to feel, honestly. Who does? I guess in a way, like sometimes I overthink things and I'm like, no, like just don't overthink it. But then I'm like, but if I don't think about it, then it's not going to change anything because then that's when you become aware of it and that's when you want to change. You are very close with a specific drag queen that may or may not be seated one foot away from you. 
purple. Nice. You're very close with purple haze. I'm not sure I've seen you two separate very often. Tell me about tell me about your relationship with purple haze. How'd you meet purple? I met her through like that. And how'd you get so close? The first time I met purple was when we were doing this picnic, and I was like in a car with Lady Quinzar, purple, and a bunch of other like that participants. And then we had the pizza, and we had to drive it to the park that we were going to. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up getting lost because we went to Kildonan Park. <laughs> and then it was the wrong park. But then eventually <laughs> we found out where they were, and that's how I met Purple. You two started a business together, Exante Goo Nails. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Well, we saw a need like for nails in the community. Oh, that, that's shady. No, no, <laughs> no, no, not in a shady way. Like, just because, like, okay, if it is shady, it's towards the fucking manufacturers of uh-huh. nails, okay? Like, yeah, the because... fucking Ardennes or at the... least, Yeah, or, if, it's, or it's, if it is shady, it's shady to me because I can't fit those fucking nails because I have fucking big nails because I was assigned male at birth, so of course I have fucking big hands. So... Yes, that's what we saw need for that. Mm-hmm. and But you'll learn more about it when you talk with Purple Haze, though. Oh, yeah? You'd rather leave that to, to Purple? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that way, like, they have something to look forward to to listen to. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Everybody make some noise for Soleimi down in the cake. <laughs> There's there's a drag queen in the cake. There's also cupcakes over there. You started drag at a very interesting time, I think, because you kind of started right in between eras, I feel. Would you would you kind of agree with that? I'd say yes, because of the way we narrate the whole story. Yeah. And then we just act as if, okay, there was the old queens, and then Prairie Sky came on, and then we kind of, like, forget to mention a little bit of what happened in between, yeah. and then we talk about Slunt. And then we talk about the boom. Yeah, and then we, uh, and then people are surprised when they see me, because they're like, oh, like, did you, were you part of Vita's P- Prairie Theater Exchange class? And I'm like, no, I've been doing drag since January of 2017. Like, I've been around for a while. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense why they may may not have heard of me. I don't blame them, but yeah. I don't think it's that people haven't heard of you. I think that you're very notorious. Um, I do, I completely agree in that that's the way that we like to construct that narrative of, like, the eras of drag. You rebuke that narrative. Yeah, I do, because it wasn't just me, obviously. There was Purple Haze, Mm -hmm. Lady Quinzar, Frida Loader, Mm -hmm. um, Slaytana, DeSlute. And, like, there were even other queens that you don't see now. Like, like we were all performing at that time, mm-hmm. and people just seem to forget about that. Interesting. Why do you think they do? I don't know. I guess maybe because when I started, I think the reason why people don't is because I was rougher. I was part of the Sunshine Bunch. I didn't have a fixed name. And since I'm really shy and quiet, and I don't really talk to many people, of course people aren't going to interact with me, so they're not going to remember me as mm-hmm. much. So all those things contributed to that. And also, I didn't say anything. It's not like I complained about it on Facebook. And I was like, I'm sick and tired of how we play this narrative out, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do that on Facebook. So, of course, no one's going to know. Like some queens are prone to do. (laughs) 
So how do you see yourself kind of fitting within that non-narrative? Like, do you see you and Purple and Saitana and Frida and Quinzar and that kind of era as a separate era? Or how do you see yourself? Do you think of yourself as like an established queen or like a baby queen or a toddler? How do you see yourself? I guess for that period, we can say it's like the Middle Ages, the Renaissance yeah. kind of thing. Yes, because like no one is sure exactly when the Renaissance ended or when the middle or when it started. And no one's sure when the Middle Ages started or ended. And yeah. then there's that gap where it's like Middle Age Renaissance. So that's how I describe it. Okay. But I'd still say like, I wouldn't say I'm an established, like I'm, I guess the other queens know me, whether it be by face I shouldn't just say queens, I should say dragoons. The other dragoons know me. Whether it be just by my look, or by name and look, or even if they heard my name but they don't know it exactly, yes, they know me in that sense, I'm established in that sense, but I'd still say, like, I'm a baby in the sense that I still need, I still have a lot to learn. Because mm-hmm. I've only been doing it for, like, a bit more than two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I still obviously have a lot to learn. It is kind of weird how we tend to kind of lump people in together. Like, I'd say that you and Purple, sometimes by people who don't know any better, consider yourself, consider you two drag babies. But really, you didn't start that much before Moxie Cotton debuted. And Moxie Cotton is, like, very much considered, like, one of the slunt factory, like, in the middle of the boom people. Yes, and... The interesting interesting thing is, if I'm remembering this correctly, she and I debuted in for the court when it was the White Knight debutante ball, I think. Yeah. If if I'm if my memory's correct. So it was like pretty much at the same time. Yeah, but then she, but of course she helped found find Slunt Factory, and that's a good thing. I don't. That's a good thing. I don't consider it a bad thing that she's associated with Slunt. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing because that helped change the scene. Totally. It's just weird how we categorize that kind of timeline in our minds. Mm-hmm. I know, and even now I still think that way sometimes, but I have to snap myself out of it. So then when this huge boom of performers happened, you were probably like about a year old, because mm-hmm. I think it started, well, a bit more than a year, because I think that sort of Vita's first drag class graduates kind of emerged in, what, February? And then Slunt Factory started up in October. How did you see that scene change after sort of this like huge rush, rush of dragoons infiltrated? I think what I noticed is like, well, when we started, well, when I started, we were expected a bit to conform to a norm. So we had to like have hips, we had to have boobs, we had to have a bit of an ass, we had to look pretty. Mm-hmm. But then with Slunt and then with all the new performers, it's like, now there's more variety and I, I'd say that's like what changed and yeah I th- I'd say that was the difference like there's we don't have to conform to a norm as much and it's a bit more diverse I guess yeah do you think drag is a political act <laughs> <laughs> everything we do is a political act if you even say you don't do anything political that is a political act in and of itself amen but do you think that drag specifically is like um more political than than your average bear i know that this is kind of like a divisive topic okay i'll answer it anyway and then bitches can call me out (laughs) yes i would say yes because in our society despite the fact that it's 2019 and there's so much material out there about queer identity 
and queer experiences, people still can't accept the fact that there are trans people, that there are non-binary people. So yes, it is a, a very political act. And there's some people who live in countries where doing stuff like this is not allowed and you could actually risk your life. So I'd say yes. That's a really great perspective. I think there are some folks who think that it can be, but I think that there are some folks who think that a lot of drag performers have the potential to misuse that sort of platform. How do you feel about that? Like, do you think it's enough to be a drag queen in 2019 to make a statement? Or do you think that that's kind of the bare minimum that you can do? I'd say in a way that could be considered the bare minimum, because yes, it is what you do with your art that makes it art. It's not just the fact that you create something, it's what you do with it. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, like if you're doing drag and you're like helping out with like fundraising or organizations and stuff like that then yes you are doing something very political but if it's just for yourself only then no it's not enough unless you live in a place where you are going to be fucking beat up or murdered or in danger in some way shape or form then yes that would be political but here in winnipeg i don't know you'd need it's more than just getting in drag so you've said you've seen the winnipeg scene grow and change over the years what do you think it needs to do to keep evolving and keep staying new and keep growing as a community as a community what do you want to see in the community that you haven't that you aren't seeing i don't know like i've been thinking about that like when i i was just like am i happy with the drake scene am i not because like sometimes i'm just so focused on myself that i don't realize but i'd say what I'd like is, like, when people do... Okay, this is what I want to keep. Like, I'm not sure where I want the drag scene to evolve. But what I want to keep is that as long as it's accessible to marginal communities. Or, I mean, marginalized communities. Because, like, if people can't... If, let's say, we have this standard because of RuPaul where everyone has to look polished and beautiful and very fem hyper-feminine, then... Not everyone could do that. Not everybody wants to do that in drag, and not everybody can afford that glamorous mm -hmm. look. Absolutely. And if people are expected to do that, and poor people can't do drag, then I would not want to do drag. But as long as we keep that open for people who are poor, for people who, as a space for people who can express themselves in that way, where in other spaces they can't express how they really feel, then that's what. I'd like to see remain in the community. Mm -hmm. And do you think that we're at that level now? It's hard to say. Sometimes I still feel a bit of the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is my show now. This is my episode. Sometimes yeah. I still feel like there's a bit of a pressure, probably from more established queens, to kind of like, I don't know. Like I, sometimes I get the sense that there are some more established performers that are like, okay, fine, you can be a king, but if you're a queen. You better pad, you better cinch, you better wear nails, you better wear yada yada yada, your wigs better be a lace front. Sometimes I still feel that pressure. I think it depends because there are some queens who don't get called out for it and others who do. Mm -hmm. So I think it just depends. Like there's a lot. It's like these relationship complexes are so complex and yeah. difficult to navigate because you don't know if they're doing it because they want to see you get better or if they're doing it for other reasons. And even the person themselves may not know that why they're doing it exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, from my personal experience, there are some queens who do get called out and others who don't. 
bit of a gatekeeping mechanism sometimes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, no one runs the scene. Like, yes, there are some queens that have more leverage, they have more connections, they know more people, and they know how to get shit done. But not one person controls the drag scene. And if we all want something to change, we can all do something. For me, where I am right now, I need to, in my drag performance, I feel like I can focus on myself and try to improve my drag, but that's really it. We just have to be more inclusive and just be like, we don't always have to be in the spotlight. Like, that's something that I'm having difficulty accepting too, but it's something I'm working on. Like, yeah, I have my chances to be in the spotlight, but other times we don't always have to be in the spotlight and we do have to allow other people in the spotlight whether they are brand new or established to get that chance at least like not a participation prize or participation trophy but like just allow them the chance like there's nothing wrong if there were more queens who came into the winnipeg scene it would be good because it'd provide variety like let's say for example if you don't want to see the sunshine bunch you don't want to see slunt factory or you don't want to see anything from SOMS either. There's other things going on in other venues, other events that are drag related, and all these queens are doing their own thing. And if you don't shine or shine brightly in one part of the scene, you can shine brightly in another part of the scene. If people kept that in mind, we wouldn't get so bothered about like new queens coming in the scene and new queens wouldn't get bothered about older queens or not always getting gigs. If pe- we all kept that in mind, that would be better. Soleil, what do you see the future of Soleil being? Where do you want to go with drag? I don't know. I don't know what my future of Soleil is because I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What I'm, I think what I want to do is because... That's a good question. Actually, no. It's because there's so many things running through my mind right now, and I'm trying to figure out which one's the best one to say and which one I actually do want to work on. I guess one thing that has been brought to my attention is that I am half Filipino, but I don't really present my Asian-ness in my drag. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to try that as a challenge. I'd like to do more songs in French because I haven't done that in a while. (laughs) (laughs) So far, those are the two things. And then when this comes out, you'll see more other things that I won't list because I won't even have known of them. (laughs) So, yeah. Onward and upward. Yeah. So, like, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. Thank you so much to Soleil for sitting down with me. Our next guest has only been kicking around the city for as long as I have, but in her one year in the city, she's absolutely dominated every show she's been in. And yes, she's been in the mall. Whether it's comedy, dance, or commentative, she's always left me breathless, and I hope you find she has the same effect on you. Here's a clip from her episode. Winnipeg drag is more of like a huge family. Everyone's like supported with their drag. No one's no one's excluded unless they make themselves excluded. You yeah. know, like you have to work pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> People acknowledge you and your talents, and they just they love you for your drag and for you. So like. I don't know, like, being ridiculous, it's my forte. (laughs) And people acknowledge it with open arms. Thank you so much to Claire Boning of Veneer for the lovely intro and outro music. Till next episode, remember to always tip your local drag performers. I feel like you did a good job. Okay, then we're good.